Welcome to the CFB Paint Podcast. We aren't Photoshop, we're not Illustrator. We're your bare bones essentials college football podcast, giving you the pixelated, crudely edited coverage you need for the preseason, midweek, and off-season doldrums while you wait for the action on Saturdays. You've got Court, Steve, Mark, and Brian, four brothers, college football fans with decades of heartbreak and a few years of ecstasy, here to guide you through your own gridiron roller coaster with all the side drama along the way. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. It's three of us here today. You got Mark, Brian, and Court. Steve still out. So you just have to, to deal. Also, kind of a light week in terms of football that was watched and played. So this may be one of our more brief podcasts. But we'll jump right into it with our rapid round. We want to do this one in the order of the last time you peed the bed. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> it sounded worse coming out of your mouth. Mark? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I was the uh, the author of this. Uh, I know I'm going to win this one. I'll save my story for the uh, for the end. Brian, when's the last time you wet the bed? So I want to say I was around 11. I, I can't remember exactly when, but I want to say I was in middle school at the time. So maybe sixth grade. So 11 or 12 years old. I just remember it being like, a, okay, I thought I was years beyond this at this point. I was not, apparently, but fortunately, I haven't had any any lapses since then. Uh, I did uh, one time when I was 13 or 14, uh, pee myself in a car on a car trip, coming back from, we'd gone canoeing, and I had a lot of Gatorade, and I told the parent who was driving, this is not my parent, this is my best friend's dad at the time, uh, I've got to use the bathroom, and he thought, well, we'll pull over soon, and soon to him was like an hour, and soon to me needed to be like, 55 minutes because we got we got really close and then i i wet the back of the seat of his car we don't need to use names but this is uh i like we don't need to use names name drop <laughs> and we just acted like it never had happened we never readdressed that Everybody who is in that car knows, and we have not talked about it since, and I appreciate all those people for being my good friends. Sorry. So we'll put you down 14. So what is that? Uh, six years or six or 12 years ago for you? Uh, 13. 13. Corey? Um, I can't tell you the last time I peed the bed. I can tell you the last time I crapped my pants, the last time I like threw up. But I can tell you the last pee accident I, that I can really remember because it was um, not a good one, in my opinion. Um. I worked for Price Waterhouse Coopers down in downtown Atlanta. Um, so this is like seven years ago. And my commute wasn't, it wasn't short. Like it was like an hour. <laughs> I can't do that. I didn't realize, I didn't realize you're like, you know, this is that recent. And also while you're oh, it is recent. on the way so to like, work too. So it's on the way home. Well, that's thankfully. better. Yeah. So the commute from work with, out traffic or yeah without traffic normally i take the subway then i get in my car drive home i could make it about 45 minutes on a perfect day on a bad day it was like an hour 15 on a really bad day it was like two and a half hours um and this happened to be a really bad day uh i get into the train station i'm like oh i gotta pee that's okay i got an hour plus to go the train station takes you know half hour to get to my my train station that stop that i get off at and i'll give him my car Nope, it takes like 45 minutes to an hour because of stoppages and issues with the train station. So then I hop in my car. Well, everybody else that's been stopped and had issues got stuck in traffic. 
I live one exit from this train station to, to my house and it is bumper to bumper traffic. And it takes me literally 40 minutes to get from one exit to uh, in Atlanta. So naturally I'm really having to pee now. Um, but we are four lanes wide and I'm not getting off to the side of the road right there, four lanes wide, let alone if may I be able to. So I'm, I am driving. Or so I get off the interstate. I get over to our house. We have a gate code. And for some reason, I cannot get the gate code right. Cannot get the gate code right. Cannot get the gate code right. I have to pee so bad. And I literally just. I have an idea of why you probably couldn't get the gate code right. Maybe yes, something exactly. else on your mind. <laughs> yes. I literally grabbed. I had two towels in the side of this of my the car. If you got to know my car, I, I drove a GMC Safari van. It's terrible, ugly thing. But it had been an accident. That so much so that it had a hole in the roof and occasionally rain would come through the roof on me. And so I had towels always readily available. I literally just took those towels and shoved them underneath me. And that's what happened in the car. And I got home to my wife and said, hey, babe, I need to go change. (laughs) Seven or eight years ago is going to be five days ago, which is mine. So that, that's the genesis of what started this question. Because as soon as I did, I was like, all right, this is pretty funny. I got a wrap it around idea. Uh, I drove to Arizona last week. And that's an all night. I mean, it's 18 hour and a half hour drive from Arkansas without stops. Um, so anyways, we get in about four in the morning. Probably should have took some stops is what he's saying. <laughs> when we took those stops. I don't remember having to go to bed uh, or go to the bathroom when I, you know, when we pulled in. We actually it was like it was five in the morning because my wife and and the kids all stay up and I go take a nap because I've been driving for the last you know ten or twelve hours, um, and I wake up at seven o'clock. Kayla wakes me up to to tell me something I don't remember much. Then I go back to bed, and next thing I know, I I wake up to me wetting the bed at my in laws that I've been at their house for three days now. Sweet, so I get to go, you know or three days, three hours. I've been at their house for three hours. And the first thing I have to do is go wash the bed sheets, uh, which is not a fun conversation to have with my mother-in-law. So I could you know, text. I would Kayla, have been like, Curtis came and slept with me. Sorry. <laughs> I said, Kayla, come upstairs as soon as possible. She runs upstairs thinking that like one of our kids isn't breathing. I'm like, this is way worse than one of our kids not breathing. We could potentially get them breathing again, but I cannot not pee on the bed. The, the pee is already there. So she goes downstairs. She's like, it's fine. My mom won't say anything. I'm like, I, we got to leave. I know we just drove here, but we got to go home. There's no other solution. I can't walk downstairs and face your mom. Go to the bathroom, get myself cleaned up. And in the bathroom, that's where I decided like, you know what? This is not something to be embarrassed about. This is pretty funny. Uh, I mean, it is fairly embarrassing, but it makes a better story. Uh, so I go downstairs. I'm like, Angie, sorry about that. And she's like, she just looks at me. She's like, that wasn't one of your kids. I was like, nope, just me. I realized you got three kids, all who have the potential to wet your bed. Uh, turns out it was your your grown son-in-law, and I apologize. And uh, if you need me to replace Did the mattress. Did she clean it up? What? Did she clean it up? No, no. Thankfully, Kayla did. You didn't clean it up? I had to clean myself up. So Kayla was like, you know, taking everything to the washer. <laughs> and then by the time I got up and, you know, got myself together to go face my mother-in-law, like she'd already finished. I mean, it's not that long. It wasn't, it was like, unlike you, it wasn't a full bladder because it woke me up. So I saved half the bladder for the, you know, for the toilet. Yeah. Not, not my proudest moment. So I want to hear her reaction though. Like was she? So that sort of stuff, my in-laws, particularly my mother-in-law handle very well. 
I don't know if they get embarrassed easily, so they don't like to embarrass other people. I have a much worse pooping story where I bailed out of her car. This is like one of the, probably the third time I've met her. I have to bail out of her car, run into the side, like run into the trees on the side of the road on the way to a family event, you know, just crap my pants everywhere, use my socks to wipe myself, get back in the car. They've never said a word about it to me. If, if my son-in-law does that, there won't be a time I see him that I don't say a word to him about that. So they're terrific. I mean, she handled it like so nice. I don't even think everybody in the household knows. One of my sister-in-laws knows because Kayla was changing the bed and she's like, Oh, one of your kids already peed the same or the bed the same day. And I was right there. I was like, nah, that was me. Uh, other than that, I don't know if anybody else in the family knows. I don't think she told anybody. Yeah, I think it's safe yeah. to say in this uh, conversation full of losers, Mark, you're the winner. So <laughs> go ahead and get on with our with our rapid round. Yeah, let's, uh, let's jump on to something else. Um, number one, we said the same thing last week, but bowl season's getting just increasingly more boring. There's just six to eight bowls I want to watch. Um and that have provided, you know, really interesting football. Uh, so we'll cover that a little bit, that this was not, you know, the most entertaining of weeks. Uh, the next thing, because Steven's not here, let's just pick on him a little bit. Steven is atrocious at bull pick em. He is right now 9-15. and 15. This is not picking against the spread. This is straight up. And of everybody in our league, he is the only person below 500, and he's not, like, a little bit below 500. Like I said, he's 9-15. and 15. So, uh hope the rest of the season turns out well for him or the bowl week, but uh, we'll see. We did a college pick them earlier this season, just between the brothers that we didn't kind of even talk about on this podcast. And Steven won because three of all three of us missed some weeks and he still barely beat us. <laughs> he didn't miss a single week or a single game. And then he's barely beat us, which is kind of ridiculous. I, I guess like, we don't take betting advice from Steve is what I'm learning. I mean, I think you could take betting advice. It would just kind of be do the opposite. Like where Steven put his money, like just put the money on the other team. We should track that next year. Steven, give us, give us one lock this week. And if we put a hundred dollars on it, what would we, if we put a hundred dollars on the opposite team, what would we make across the course of the season? (laughs) So my takeaway is um, if you're in the transfer portal, don't play in your bowl game unless you've already got a team that you're going to, that you've signed with. Uh, Grayson McCall of Coastal Carolina hurt in the second quarter, hadn't been picked up. There's a few decent quarterbacks out there. I mean, there's what Sam Hartman entered, entered the transfer portal recently. Um, I know Hudson Card just got picked up by, was it Purdue? Yeah. I know UF fans are hoping that they get Sam Hartman, but I'm pretty sure uh, Mertz, the Wisconsin quarterback, isn't transferring there to sit. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but Grayson McCall, like he probably one of the better quarterbacks left in the transfer portal and now what do you do? How long is that injury going to happen? Do you pick him up? Do you, does he end up back at Coastal Carolina? I don't know. That's got to suck though. It, it like puts a really damper on your, on your options, I think. So um, other than that, I agree with you, Mark, not a great week for, to, to like watch a ton of football. Um, up, upcoming week is exciting because we actually got some good games, good, some good teams, even good teams going on at the moment right now. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll see. Bowl week is getting worse and worse and we need to tie Play, player compensation to playing in these games like we talked about last week yeah i'll wrap things up for the rapid rounds for one i had one of my christmas wishes last week for dju to have a good season next year still not a sure thing but i think he's found a great landing spot at oregon state really excited about the fit there and what that team offers and even with their backup qb this year how they kind of molded the team around him to 
fit the strengths, I think he'll be put in a much better situation to succeed than he was at Clemson. So really excited for that. Um, a lot of these, these QB cards that last time I said hadn't fallen, a lot of them have, um, with a few still yet to, yet to land. Sam Hartman just jumping into the portal um, right after his bowl game. But that's one I'm really excited about. I think the fit makes a lot of sense. I think Oregon State's a super fun team. Uh, so could be could be really awesome next year. The other thing I want to shout out is uh, Ed Reed taking the head coaching job at Bethune-Cookman. Ed Reed, one of my favorite Hurricanes. Um, if it's a Florida Gator, I usually don't like you as long as you're around. You know, there's never a time where I become a fan again. Miami players, for whatever reason, I, I tend to come around on. I like Edron James. I like Clinton Portis. I like Warren Sapp. Once you're no longer a hurricane, you're, you're still all right by Brian, turns out. And Ed Reed, I'm excited to see at Bethune-Cookman. Just giving a little bit more shine to the HBCUs, you know, given the last few years they've had Dion uh, with Jackson State and they've had uh, Eddie George with Tennessee State. Now we've got uh, Ed Reed at Bethune-Cookman. Don't know what kind of coach he is, but but we'll see see what he can do. He's at least been around the college ranks. He's been on Miami sidelines for the last, what, three, four years. And so that's kind of – it doesn't feel like as Dion-esque to me as it does. Also being somewhat of, if I'm going to root for an HBCU, clearly I'm going to root for FAMU being from Tallahassee. Not happy about that, having to face Ed Reed every year. But, I mean, I think they've won like 55 to 6 or something like, like against BC this year. So, yeah, Willie Simmons is doing a good job over there. Um, got no complaints about that one. But we'll see how it is when you face it. Hall of Fame Ed Reed. Yeah. Big shout out Simmons, though. Love him. Love the job that he's doing there. Go Rattlers. Strike him. Strike him. We'll keep things rolling. Uh, for our recap for this last week, we're actually going to start not at the beginning of the week, but at what we have just watched today. Um, this is Wednesday that we're recording, and we watched a wild game, Arkansas against Kansas. Yeah, this was a, a very fun game, very interesting. Had a, had a lot of twists and turns. Arkansas jumped up big in the first half, um, something up like 31 to 13 or 38-13. And then the whole second half, uh, it was 38-13 it because was Kansas rattled off 25 straight to finish the game including Arkansas having the ball up two scores um, with two minutes and like 50 seconds left. They, they run the ball. They're trying to run out the clock and they fumble it, give up a, a, a sizable return, which allows Kansas to get in the end zone. And Kansas gets the onside kick scores again and gets the two point conversion uh, with 41 seconds left. Really weird clock management from Arkansas from that point on. So they get the ball with 41 seconds left. And they come out, first play, uh, roll out K.J. Jefferson to the right. He ends up throwing the ball out of bounds. It's an eight-second play that has, you know, that picks up zero yards. So now there's 33 seconds left. And from there, uh, it looks like Sam Pittman's content to go to, to overtime. So he hands the ball off. They pick up 11 yards. And and then they go run another play. But they don't – they've got all three timeouts. Uh, with 33 seconds left, they have all three timeouts and they've got the ball in the 25. So they run the ball, pick up 34 yards, or pick, pick up uh, 11 yards, get the ball out to like the, the 35, 36. Could call a timeout with like 27 seconds left. They choose to just snap the ball because most people don't like to call a timeout after a first down. Clock already stops. However, it still takes time to get the line set, things like that. And so they let like seven seconds roll off the clock. They run another play. And that play picks up another 11 yards or so. And so now they're in distance to, to throw the football. You know, they're probably 60 yards out with, with uh, Jefferson's arm. You, you can get the ball there, but they don't. There's, there's kind of a weird play. 
the clock's about to run out. Refs throw a flag. It's for 12 men on the field. They decline it, but then award Arkansas a timeout. Apparently there was a timeout they didn't blow the whistle on. So anyways, there's one second left, and Arkansas is calling a timeout. So you think they're going to throw the ball to the end zone again? They run another draw play. Running back picks up like 40 yards. He runs within in the red zone, uh, and then half is over. It, it seems weird, particularly when you got a, a cannon like K.J. Jefferson's that you just leave that, you know, sitting on the bench um, metaphorically. But So they go into overtime, tied 38. They trade scores for the first and second overtime. Pretty quick scores, not a whole lot of defense in this game, um, particularly down the stretch, just having trouble stopping the ball. Uh, Kansas gets the ball first. They score a touchdown. Arkansas answers. Arkansas scores a first touchdown in second overtime. Kansas quickly answers. Now, in second overtime, you have to start going for two. Arkansas gets their two-point conversion. Kansas scored to follow. Now they have to get their two-point conversion because they are now down 53-51. And Kansas takes the ball, the two-point conversions from the three-yard line. Jalen Daniels takes the snap and shotgun, rolls out right. He's looking to pass, looking to pass, doesn't really see any good options, and he tries to take it into the, to the end zone. Um, and he gets hit short of the goal line. He gets hit about at the one-and-a-half-yard line, and he's. it looks like he's going to get stopped short. He's still driving. He may fall forward. Uh, but to make sure they make the stop, it, an Arkansas defensive back dives in to, to, you know, help stop his progress. But in doing so, hits him helmet to helmet. So they throw a flag and review it for targeting. It's definitely targeting. And then there's a, a weird mix-up with the refs. I actually do not know the rule on this. I didn't get a chance to, to look it up. This game finished right before we, we started to record. But the ref initially says it's going to be half the distance to the goal from the spot. So from three-yard line, they put it at the one and a half. Then he comes back on and says, nope, retry the two-point conversion, implying that it's going to come from the three. There's another huddle. They circle back up and say it will be half the distance to the goal from the spot of the foul, which they say occurred at the two-yard line. They give him the ball on the one-yard line. That's exactly how you do it if it was like a normal, a normal play, but I would think that the dead ball might operate a little differently. Clearly, the rest weren't clear on, on what the operation should be. Um, so anyways, Kansas takes it from the, from the right hash, um, and punches in the two point conversion. So it's 50, 53, 53 going into third overtime and from third overtime on, you're just trading two point conversions. Um, Arkansas comes out with one of those delayed zone read run pass options. Jefferson, I think does a really nice job with it and ends up finding a guy in the end zone, picking up the two point conversion. And then Kansas comes out. And for their two-point try, they run a reverse to their backup quarterback who feels like he misses a, a couple options on the play. He's got a, a guy open early um, early into his reverse role. Then it looks like he's got the option to run, and instead he kind of airmails it out of the back of the end zone. He's, he does have a guy back there who's not particularly open, and the pass isn't close. So the, the receiver doesn't even get a hand on it, and Arkansas wins the game, um, a game they did their best to lose. Uh, but they still come out to be victorious in the end. Yeah, I have big problems with with that play call at the end. I don't understand why you take it out of Jade Dano's hands. He's done so good this year, and and for your team, um, this game. Like he, there's one point in time, like watching the game where um, the co- head coach walks over and kind of like, calm down, relax, let the game come to you. I think it's like 31-13 at that time, and we're talking like like middle of the third quarter. Like it's not close. Maybe it's 38-13. Um, at, at the time and it is not close he's trying to get him to relax and 
it appears that like that works. Like he worked, he's he's relaxed, they win the game and whatever else. But then why do you take the ball out of his hands in the last play? I get that this guy's played a few games this year and he did okay in in relief, but I hate that call. I think it's terrible. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think it makes any sense, especially just considering how well Jalen Daniels played through the back half of that game. He was the best player on the field through the back half of it. And the overtimes, you know, you could say he played it even with KJ, but you hadn't seen him go awry. And I think it's a possibility that the the play call with the play calling, they were overthinking the coming short that they had done just before, where you have the targeting that saves it. They're able to get that two point, but now they're second guessing themselves and they, they don't want to leave the ball in his hands. And that just doesn't, doesn't make any sense uh, if if you're not thinking about it too much. If you're, you know, overthinking, I can see how you could say, okay, this we almost got bid on what we wanted to do earlier. We'll try something a little bit different. They won't be expecting, but that's one that in hindsight is always going to look bad. But I think without hindsight, it's it seems obvious you at least let Jalen Daniels be the one to win or to lose that game for you. I, I've got a bigger issue of just running, you know, thinking about the, you know, you talk about, oh, well, they got stuff last time. Like maybe that was in their head. Like, great. Don't run the football. They hadn't ran the ball effectively the entire game. The Arkansas front won the battle in the trenches, but Jalen Daniels had like 535 passing yards and like a 60, 70% completion percentage. Like just throw the football. It's fine. Just go back and shotgun and let him throw the football. Yeah. And, and in the worst case, let him scramble if he needs to, to get people over. Cause if you watched him all game, he was scrambling to the right, find a guy for six yards, scramble to the left, find a guy for 10 yards, scramble. Like he was looking to pass the whole time and just keep himself open. But he, it was phenomenal. It's interesting. Like you say, like it was like a, I think they had like what 50 yards rushing in like 35 attempts. So it's like 1.6 or 1.7 yards per t- carry. And, and I get that for the back half of that game, they basically had to throw the ball anyway, but you had been narrowed down to like your rushing attempt had been destroyed the entire game. What makes you think it's going to open up now? even when they knew you have to be a passing offense, it's like, they still couldn't t- stop the passing attack. So let it, you know, let's go to the air with your quarterback. Yeah. I do want to give a lot of credit to Kansas just for the performance. You know, we thought, we all thought this game was over. Mark and I are watching Oregon UNC, which is playing right now as we record, because we, you know, we had long thought that this game was over, um, that Arkansas is just going to get the job done pretty easily. And we, we are a little bit into the UNC Oregon game and, check the score and we go, oh my gosh, they are within eight and just got an onside kick. Just an incredible job. Also, let's just talk real quick about that onside kick. Terrible execution by the hands team. I don't know what they were coaching in terms of like, hey, have the guy who's the furthest back. Make sure everybody else, you don't even try and recover it. Just go hit the guy and then we'll wait for the ball to trickle a long, long way and hopefully none of their guys will get through and grab it. It, it looks... I mean, I understand you don't want your guys to get blown up because we saw that earlier on in the season where dude's trying to recover it gets gets blown up by the, uh, I guess, the upbacks from the other team. But you've got to have somebody who's not all the way out on the sideline who's going to recover the ball. Or somebody to call a fair catch. So somebody to call a fair catch. I don't think that was an option in this one. I think there were did multiple it, bounces. Did double bounce? But, yeah, it just – it was a really easy onside kick recovery. We'll put it that way. Like usually if you win one of those, it's ugly. It's, it's popped up. You've had a chance to jump at the same time as the, the receiving team. And, you know, it gets bounced around. You jump on it. This was a really clean recovery because it was really poorly executed by the receiving team. 
overall an entertaining game, a, a good win for Arkansas, which is good for my bowl pick them. Kansas will have to wait another year to get a winning season. We'll quickly go through uh, some of the other games from the week. Again, not the most exciting week in terms of college football. Air Force does beat Baylor. Uh, Dave Miranda's man finished six and seven on the season. And a team that we were not I mean, crazy bullish on, but we thought would be pretty good, looks in pretty bad shape. Uh, Blake Shapin wasn't really what they expected him to be this year. That offense couldn't do anything against Air Force. Uh, Air Force got 10 wins. And a couple weeks ago, Mark and I were talking about, can Navy do better than can Niamatololo going 4-8? and eight? Maybe looking at Air Force, that's that's the model used because they are a 10-win team this year. They had 67 carries in this game. They ran the ball all over Baylor. 67 carries for 276 yards. So it's not crazy efficient, but it's efficient enough. Not only that, Brad Roberts, who's their main running back, ran the ball 37 times. 37 times for 116 yards. They said, look, we're going to stick to our guns. This is what we're going to do. And unless you can put up points to make us want to do anything else, this is what we're going to do. And they did it really effectively because Baylor couldn't move the ball on the ground. They couldn't move the ball through the air. And so Air Force gets the job done against uh, a, a big 12 team, a big name for them to be beating. A scrappy win, but that's how you're going to be when you're at one of these service academies. And they've had a lot of scrappy wins over the season. So this is the best one yet, and Baylor fans are going to be wondering what went wrong this year and and how was the outlook for this program going forward. Yeah, you say a scrappy one. I'll, I'll actually change that narrative a little bit to, to kind of a dominant win. So Air Force wins by 15 points. They only give up 188 yards through the air on less than 50% completion percentage, and they give up 1.6 yards a carry on 26 carries. The defense dominates Baylor in this game. And like you said, not efficient running, for, you know, just over four yards a carry. Uh, not generally what you want it to see out of your offense, but when you when the sample size is 67 rushing attempts, I'm good at math. Three times four is 12, and that's first down every three carries. So just pound the rock, and that's you know that's what they did all the way to, to victory. The other thing I'll say on that is that when they did throw, they were explosive with it. They had four completions on the day. They had over 100 yards receiving. They had a touchdown through the air. Very much reminiscent to me of, uh, as, a, as an ACC fan, of the Paul Johnson days where – you have Josh Nesbitt and uh, Dwyer. This is the first Jonathan name. Dwyer. Jonathan Dwyer. But then when you throw the ball, you're throwing the ball to Calvin Johnson, the maybe the best receiver in history, at least top five. Uh, and so it was, you need to stack the box with eight people. And then, oh yeah, by the way, you've got to stop Megatron on the back end. That's a tough offense to, to stop when you are letting the ball go. Uh, obviously, Air Force not as lethal as those Paul Johnson teams were, but very similar uh, in game plan of we're going to run, 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 run. And then when we go deep, we're, we might gash it big. So good win there for Air Force. Houston gets the win over Louisiana. Mark, you want to get, bring us through that one? Yeah, no, no, this, just, just a quick comment on that. Louisiana is a team that jumps out to the, the first half lead who can't close it, unlike Arkansas uh, did this game. They jump up 13 nothing, and from there let Houston go on a 23-3 run and win the football game. Uh, Houston, in general, is a better team. I think that's what we expected. I don't think we expected – you know, really them to get, they, they almost get shut out. You know, they score three minutes uh, left in the first half. Houston almost puts up a, a goose egg in the first half. And from there, they really figure it out and kind of put the game away. Rolling right along, Wake Forest played Missouri, take care of business in that game, win 27 to 17 over the Missouri Tigers. One thing we've got to interrogate Stephen on when he's back on the show is why he thought Missouri was going to win this game. 
because Sam Hartman did not opt out for this bowl game. Sam Hartman has been a very good quarterback. He breaks the record for most touchdowns in ACC history as a quarterback. Very impressive uh, from him. And then immediately enters the transfer portal afterward. All the whispers are that he'll be headed to Notre Dame. So could be exciting times for the Irish. I think he's better than Drew Pine, who's he's a lot better than Drew Pine. Transferred to where? Arizona State? That's right. Him and the BYU guy both went there. So they'll have a fun uh, a fun battle. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what Arizona State becomes under first year Dillingham. Uh, but a good win for Wake Forest. Either of you have any thoughts on that game? Just real quick, you know, ASU has like 18 transfers this cycle. That's a lot of transfers. I'm, I'm not crazy surprised by that just because Kenny Dillingham falls squarely under Mike Norvell in the coaching tree. And Mike Norvell has been in his first few years, extremely aggressive in the transfer portal. All of Florida state's main contributors from this year are transfer portal guys. If not from this year, then from, you know, a year back, you know, when you talk about people who aren't immediate transfers, you're like, Oh, well, Fabian Lovett was big on the defensive line for them or Jordan Travis was big. It's like, yeah, those are also transfers just from a few years ago. And so having had that experience at Florida state and kind of seeing that things can turn around when you get really aggressive in there, that would have been Dillingham's uh, impetus to do so. Also when he was at this FSU staff, he was one of the better recruiters on the staff, Um, very much tenacious and likes that part of the game. I didn't realize he'd taken 18 though. Yeah. That's going to be a crazy, crazy thing to watch. Yeah. I think Norvell's on his highest is taking 11, but like, 18 seems a little high. I, I, sorry, that's a little bit aside from, from the Wake and Missouri game. Going back to that, like, where does Wake go for here for next year? Like, you lose Sam Hartman. Who, do you, who's their back backup quarterback? Are they start? Do they start going downhill a little bit? Yeah, I'm really curious on this because I don't know. I, I kind of thought Dave Clawson would get snatched up for a job somewhere else. I think he has one of these really cool styles where he runs that slow mesh offense that could kind of work for a – team that has either academic standards or, or some sort of limitations on what talent they can bring in. Um, I was thinking of a Stanford earlier in the year where I go, you can't accept the same people everybody else does, but he's finding a way to compete that is really creative, really um, unique and a nightmare to face. I don't like playing Wake Forest at all with the way that they run their offense. But now I don't see Wake Forest, if I'm one of the wide receivers, you know, the caliber of an A.T. Perry, I might just jump in the transfer portal myself now. If Sam Hartman's gone, I don't, this is the guy who's been doing everything underneath this offense. I don't know what they look like without him just because it's been so long since that's been the case. Yeah. Remember back in the day, they had like Jamie Newman, who they all thought was going to be the starter and like that would be amazing. And Jamie Newman kind of took over from Sam Hartman a little bit and then struggled and Sam Hartman took back over. You also have their their other captain, Rondell Boyce. Bothroyd, I don't know his name, right there. They also entered the portal, looking, trying to get more visibility. So I, I, I just looked it up. It says, it seems like the Wake Forest fans of the future in Mitch Griffiths. He played in the VMI game, so we'll have to go watch that game. But uh, the other thing that I was thinking about was, like, if he, so if Hartman does or go to Notre Dame, they play Notre Dame next year. Uh, what is it, October 28, 2023? That'll be fun, fun to watch. Yeah, circle that one. Yeah. It was a, a year late for Notre Dame. I mean, think how good this Notre Dame team could have been with a, a quarterback who could push the ball down the field. Uh, they lose, you know, they lose some weapons, you know, Michael Mayer being the, the, the biggest one. But and I'm not saying they would have been elite, but, you know, I don't think they probably dropped games to to Marshall 
probably still drop their Ohio State game. Maybe not their Stanford game either. So, anyways, it, that'll that'll be fun with Sam Harton, and hopefully, I, I would like him to sign there as as you know much as I'd like to see him anywhere. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Wake ends up running that offense. Brian, what Brian's describing is the exact same play that you know that Arkansas basically ran for their two point conversion. What what Wake does is this kind of slow zone option or, or zone read run RPO where the running back and the quarterback just stay huddled up behind the offensive line for like a second and a half while the quarterback figures out, do I want to just give the ball to the running back or do I have a wide receiver open because I've caught safety's eyes in the backfield, but they do it, you know, 30 times a game. And for whatever reason, at least FSU has had a very hard time covering it. And a lot of other teams have So you know, Brian just described Sam Hartman's become one of the most prolific passers in ACC history on this offense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. We'll keep things rolling along. Middle Tennessee State gets the win over Bowling Green with a field goal to to put or take care of that one. Middle Tennessee State has gotten a lot of love from me through the course of the season due to a great win over Miami. Georgia Southern gets a win over Buffalo. Memphis beats Utah State. You guys can stop me when you have a game that you want to talk about. That Memphis-Utah State game was very decisive. ECU beats Coastal Carolina, also in a decisive manner. But Corey touched on this one at the top of the podcast. Grayson McCall goes out in this one. That's really the storyline, not only for the game, but for the result that comes out of it. They were behind already, but I think just affected it even more. You know, that ECU offense is, is pretty potent. I mean, they, what, they hung 53 up on them. And I think they had like one drive in the first half where they didn't score. They were finishing everything. Yeah, consecutive losses for the Chanticleers to end the season. And we'll see where Grayson McCall ends up. It's, in my opinion, and this is my uninformed opinion, I don't have any sources on this, obviously. It would make a lot of sense if he ends up back at Coastal Carolina because for a team to, to take a chance on a guy who just got hurt, you don't know what he's going to be after that injury. It, so to me, he's much more valuable to Coastal than he would be to uh, a a team that's taking them on for the first time, but if, really, if I'm a middling SEC ACC team, though, I take a gamble on him. Why not? What's the lose? I, I I say you do it. I, I think it's similar to Mackenzie Milton at Florida State, where hey, if he happens to be Mackenzie Milton, great. If not, Jordan Travis ain't half bad. And this this injury though isn't a Mackenzie Milton injury, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's this isn't a two year injury that he's out for. So. Wish him the best of luck and wish a, a quick recovery for him. Wisconsin beats Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State ends the season. Yeah, six and seven. This is the end of a really like ignominious finish for Oklahoma State. So seven and six, seven and six. really seven and six? Yeah. Yeah, my bad. Thank you. Um w- once they entered the top ten in like week they did the Arkansas. Seven. Yeah, but but Arkansas, you could say there was a little bit of a less of an, an overreaction. I mean, it wasn't immediately that Oklahoma State jumped in the top 10 and they played, you know, they, they were in there for a couple of weeks, beat Baylor. So sorry, once they jumped back into it, because once they got beat by TCU, they fell out of the top 10. They beat Texas, jumped back into the top 10. And that's when the Kansas State beatdown happened. Spencer Sanders went out the week before against Texas, um, or maybe it's in that Kansas State game. It's I think it's in that Kansas State game. And then they get stomped 48-0. 
and including that game, they finished the season one in five and lose to a pretty bad Wisconsin team this uh, in the bowl season. So I'm glad I bet all of them are glad that the season is done. It'd be interesting to see. You just talked about this. Uh, McCall end up back at Coastal Carolina. Spencer Sanders have takers outside Oklahoma State. I don't know why he wants to leave. Like they were good with him at the helm. He was at the helm the whole front half of the season. Uh, he played a lot of the back half of the season injured, and they don't perform so well. Um, feels feels weird. I haven't looked in too much to the reasonings behind him wanting to I mean, transfer, but they were great when he wasn't turning the ball over. If he turned the ball over, they were they struggled a little bit. So I don't know where where do you go that's up on this, or do because you, you're already a starter. Or do you think yeah, I mean, I don't know what you think you're getting out of this. You're like a four-year starter. I mean, you're, I made the joke last week. You're practically the mascot of Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's a pretty good ball team. I mean, you play four weeks in the top ten. What A better school is not going to come call your name. Yeah, that's one thing I've looked at is I don't see a better school that he could take the starting job at. I see the, the only school that I think is intriguing and I don't think would happen because I don't think Chip Kelly wants a rental. I think he'd fit interestingly at UCLA. That could be a decent fit with the offense that they run. Again, this is me talking out my backside and not, not being sourced and knowing where he's visiting or what schools are pursuing him. But, and how do you go back into the locker room as the leader of the team? You're like, no, you, bro, you tried to quit on us. Like, we don't want you. Get out of here. I don't know. If Scottie Pippen can do it, I think he can do it. Scottie Pippen was a much better basketball player than Spencer Sanders is a football player. I don't know, but he was more valuable to the Bulls than he is to the the Oklahoma Cowboys. I think you could they won that, that game without him. <laughs> One game. Hey, they did it. But really, just a, a very poor end of the season, losing to a Graham Mertzless Wisconsin. Uh, not that Graham Mertz is a world beater, but if you're the backup behind him, you know it's not good news. So a bad, bad finish to the season for oklahoma state cowboys and they'll be looking to flip things around come next year you say graham mertz isn't even uh, isn't a world beater he's not even a iowa hawkeye beater so it's not, not hey that's a that's a stingy defense okay true earlier today we had duke taking on ucf and winning in a very dominant fashion Corey, you want to take us through that one yeah all i gotta say is mike elko man come on like the, the job you've done here at duke Duke was three and nine last year, and this year Duke is nine and four. Mike Elko and his defense, granted, I know he's not the defensive coordinator, but he is a defensive mind. They hold John Reese Plumley to 28 yards in the first half and take control of that game. I think it's like 20 to three or 20 to seven at, at halftime. And, and they don't end up blowing the doors open. I think they end up winning like 30 to 13. But like you held Gus Malzahn's offense, that option offense, to 13 points. With he's got John Rice probably is, is a quality quarterback in the fact that he when he when he's running that system. I'm not sitting there saying I want him to be my starter, but he's decent when he runs that system. But they made him semi one dimensional in that first half and, and took control of that game and then never let them get back in it. And I just got to give props to Mike Elko, ACC Coach of the Year, um, deservedly so. I mean, to to see what he's done in that team is incredible. Now I'd like to see what happens when he does w- with recruiting and seeing how they can mo- move to the next level. I think nine and four is good. I think that if they're, they can do that again next year, they should be happy, but then like, can they take steps up on that? You know, in the next little while, it'll be interesting. Um, as far as, as UCF, I feel like UCF has been hit or miss. They're like either they have a great game or they kind of struggle. Um, and I guess that's how Gosh Malzahn has 
gone down from Auburn to UCF. So maybe that's the, ca the case. But I mean, with as many athletes as there are in this day and age, like he should be able to find an athlete to be able to run this thing as well as, you know, Air Force is able to run their option team games. Um, you just need a quarterback that can semi-throw the ball for a little bit better. But maybe we'll see where UCF ends up. UCF is feels like they're the little brother and, and it's been mad that they've been told that they're the little brother in, in, in Florida. But they've got to win games that matter and games that are important, and they're not doing that. So, And they're joining a Power 5 conference coming up this next season. They'll be in the Big 12. So, I said, Yeah, I said the bottom of the Big 12 is what I said. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't fight you on that. But, no, that they were a team that I was impressed with for this season. Last podcast, I talked about how good they've been since the loss to Louisville early on in the year. And they beat um, Tulane. And then they lost this. So they kind of like crapped the bet at the very end. They were in control of the AAC conference and they kind of just went at the end. Uh, and bummer to see them end out that way, but not a, not a pushover opponent or not the one that we would have thought going into this game would have been a pushover opponent. Duke, that coastal division is pretty open. I don't think people saw UNC winning it this year. I don't know what the projections are for next year. I don't see UNC. You know, I think Drake May is excellent. I've talked a lot about that. But without a Josh Downs, without the tools that he's had, um, without some transfers who are leaving and some other players who are going pro, I expect them to be a little worse than last year. Miami oh, no, he's looking pretty good against Oregon right now. He's looking pretty good against Oregon. It's 21 or 27-21 right now as we're talking. So we may get a, a live reaction to the end of this game. But I don't see UNC making it to the ACC title game next year. Miami maybe comes good on the potential of the, the athletes that they have, but that coastal division looks there for the taking. And so they could be finding their way into an ACC title game and anything goes once you get there. So a, a great job by Elko and, and some real opportunity for that team going forward. Um, like I said, the UNC Oregon game will, we may touch on in a bit. There's a minute 20 left and we've all got it on. Uh, extra screen so that we'll we'll not quite miss the ending of that one but while we're talking we're going to take a look ahead at the weeks to or the games to come in the next week we did a little preview over what's happening tomorrow in the last podcast we talked about texas and washington we talked about florida state oklahoma but we're going to look ahead for the whole week because this includes the new year's six bowls a lot of good games that are coming up and we will keep things in the order of our rapid round for our most embarrassing, well, I guess most recent P story, P the bed, we turned into P the car. Mark? We talked about enjoying some of the uh, toilet bowl games. Give me Iowa and Kentucky. Over under on that game, 31 points. Kentucky without Will Levis and Chris Rodriguez not expected to put up a whole lot of points. Iowa never does. I'll take the under on that. I don't know about you guys. Uh, but like I said, I'll always, despite the, you know, awfulness of watching an Iowa offense I do just love to watch their defense play football um so we'll enjoy that game not the most prestigious game on here at all the next one I'll, I'll save some of the, the more prestigious ones for you guys Notre Dame South Carolina Notre Dame I thought had one of the best back halves of the season uh South Carolina certainly had the best three game last three games of the season um or four games and so that one will be be you know, fun to watch and capturing my attention as well. All right. Um, the game I'm looking forward to is Clemson, Tennessee. 
I know Tennessee doesn't have Hendon Hooker, but I'm interested to see the Clemson team that should have been this year. Um, no offense to DJ, but he should not have been the starting quarterback, I don't feel like. Um, so how good is this Clemson team, and what is this Clemson team looking like for next year potentially? Um, I imagine they – I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm excited to see what happens with it. Um, the other games I'm actually excited to see is I want to see Alabama KSU, and I want to see KSU win so bad. Um, just because I'd like to see, like, really this be, like, the shattering of the of the dynasty a little bit, even though Bama has a great recruiting class coming in. Um, and so it's not really going to be the shattering of the dynasty. Just, I mean, three losses in a season. You can't get better than that for Alabama. Um, and if it's at Kansas, hands of Kansas State, I'm, I'm going to be happy about that. You know, a, an inferior Big 12 opponent from, yeah, not in the SEC can beat them as well. So those are the two games I'm excited about. And lastly, the Florida State game. I'm excited for Florida State to put a hurting on Oklahoma. I am excited to watch us beat them for the first time in my entire life. I'm sorry, my cousins, but you get to deal with that loss. I know it's expected. I know we're favored. Although we're only favored for like, what, seven, five points, um, which is kind of ridiculous to me. So we'll see what happens. I think Florida State covers, and they win by two touchdowns at least. I mean, you have three of the five offensive linemen for Oklahoma out. That's bad news when Jared Verse decides, yeah, I'm not going to opt out and I'm going to play. So could be, could be a nightmarish evening for the Sooners. But I think that's about all the good games that are coming. Oh, wait, we have a playoff, gentlemen. We have a playoff. And TCU, Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia is happening. These are the games where people aren't transferring for the most part, where people aren't opting out. They're playing and they want to get a championship because that's what they came to college to do is to win a national title, bring it back to their school, and then go make a bunch of money in the pros. I'm excited for TCU, Michigan. TCU has stolen my heart over the course of the season. It's a team that I just, I feel like they're always still in it, even when they're not. I want to root for them. Sonny Dykes has done a tremendous job in year one. I have enjoyed everything that program has done this year. I think they're going to get destroyed by Michigan. Michigan just is a team. Mark mentioned this weeks back, but these are the two teams who play full games. They both play 60 minutes and Michigan is a good football team. They grind you down with the pat or with the running game. They showed that they do have some moxie with the passing game when needed. And I think they're going to take care of business there, but I'm really excited to watch the Horn Frogs again. I'd love for them to prove me wrong yet again this season as they've done repeatedly over and over Ohio state, Georgia, Ohio state's the team that I wish wasn't in the playoff. Ohio state gets in because USC slips to Utah. And to be fair, I wouldn't like to see a Caleb Williams list, Utah or Utah, Caleb Williams list USC in the playoff. So you do what you have to do. I think it's, it's all right. And Ohio state is a really good football team. I just don't like to see them get in by virtue of not playing in a conference title game. However, this is exciting because we've all year been waiting for somebody to test Georgia. And this is a team that has the talent that you think could. That has not proven to be enough at times. And it will be interesting to see if Georgia keeps doing what Georgia has been doing, just being a robot and taking care of every team. Uh, and, and I should say every moment when they need to get a stop, when they need to get a score, Whatever they need at the time, they can always get it. They're always able to impose themselves at the important moments of the game. I, I fully expect Georgia to win that game, but I, you know, it's hard to count out CJ Stroud. It's hard to count out Harrison. The the things that that team can do, some of the defensive playmakers that they have. I'm excited for the playoff and for meaningful, meaningful football after weeks and weeks 
by weeks and weeks, I mean exactly two weeks of meaningless for the most part football. This will be really, really nice. Yeah. I think those are the two most complete football teams. I said that before and, and I'm excited for that game. I'm actually one of maybe the few people that is not sad to see uh, Ohio state in the playoff. I think that was more of an issue of the ranking going into the conference championships where I still would put Ohio state in the top four, uh, not USC. Um, and so I'm excited. I'm happy that they're playing. I'm happy that uh, this, this is the matchup I wanted. This is not, I would not necessarily want to see these two. I mean, I guess if they're on the opposite sides of the bracket, they could, they could meet for the national championship. I'm not sure Ohio state gets by Michigan again, but I, I would think they do. Um, anyways, should be a great football game. And I think the winner of that, that game will be our uh, national champion. And I think it'll be Georgia by multiple scores. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have some, some time to, to evaluate those games before we get into the, the final breakdown of who's going to win the national championship, but it's, it's hard from the outside at this point to say anything, but Georgia, the, I, I'll add in one more game uh, while I'm at it. Tulane USC Tulane has played really good football. They got their revenge against UCF in the AAC championship game champions of that. And USC doesn't have Caleb Williams Tulane. This is a much bigger game for them than USC. I think USC doesn't feel like there's a lot riding on it. They would like to win, but if they don't win, there's good reasons why not. They have good players missing and good players who are, are leaving to the next level as well. But a, a chance for, as a program, Tulane to get a marquee win over a top, not only top team, but a top name in USC. So excited for what that game may, may bring. I'm sure one that the Green Wave is preparing fiercely for. Um, and you wonder if USC is able to bring the same intensity to that um, initial start as, as the Green Wave. So, yeah, no, I'm excited for this, for, like you said, the playoffs. Um, I think Ohio State is probably the best team or the best team to challenge. Uh, not the best team, Mark. Don't so the best team to challenge Georgia. Um, but I am excited to see potentially, like, you do get a Georgia versus Ohio State and then a Georgia versus Michigan. Like, if Georgia wins that, like, I know Georgia struggled against some teams that they shouldn't have struggled against, but they always put it together when it mattered. Like, but they put it together against two very solid teams prove that they're national champions, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, like if, if you get any other winners of them, this like Michigan, great. They've already beat Ohio state. And if they beat Georgia, cool. If they beat Ohio state, if they beat Ohio state earlier and beat the BTCU and then they have to play Ohio state again, I'm going to love that one too. Um, so ideally like my heart of hearts, the story I want to see is I want Ohio state to win this entire thing against Michigan so that the Ohio state quarterback can say he didn't win the game, but he won a nat or a big 12 title but he won a national title against Michigan. So I, I agree. I think that's actually a, a point. I don't know that you've, you've brought up, but is, is incredible, which is it works out so much better getting Ohio state versus either Michigan or, or Georgia versus either Michigan or Ohio state, instead of them meeting, which would have been a fun meeting in the playoffs for them in the, uh, you know, in the semifinal. But now we're going to get to see if Georgia's going to be the national champion or whoever is the national champion. If it comes out of that side, it's like you had to be, two really good football teams and everybody's going to feel pretty good about you as the national championship, even if it's Ohio state and you beat Georgia and then Michigan to say like, yeah, you, you lost to Michigan in the regular season, but you beat them in the, in the finish and you beat Georgia like that, that person's going to have a really good resume. Yeah. And honestly, I think it'd be disappointing ever to see the same conference in the same side of the college football playoff bracket. I just don't think any conference should have a, a sure, uh, entrant into the national championship game now that we have a playoff but if if georgia does what they've been doing all season 
to Ohio State and to the winner of Michigan or Michigan TCU. We're going to have a lot of conversations about this is the best team this turn of the century because nobody's held a candle to Georgia. There, there's still mystery of like how good exactly are they because we just haven't seen anyone present what has seen been a notable challenge. Tennessee, oh, Missouri's fair. I guess, yeah, they're barely better than Missouri. Who's about, you know, eight, was it 17 points worse than? uh, 10 points worse than Wake Forest. Right. No, they're better than Wake Forest, according to Steve. Real quick, we won't dive in this much because we've run the course of this podcast, but Oregon gets the win over North Carolina 28-27 in the Holiday Bowl. Good win for the Ducks, but a lot closer than any of us would have thought that this game would go. Drake May had a decent performance, but really Oregon just not firing on offense the way that they that they have been throughout the season. Nonetheless, doesn't matter. All they care about is the win, and they got the win. So congrats, Oregon. Ten wins on the season as both teams were fighting for their tenth, but the, the Ducks are the ones to get it there. So congrats, Dan Lanning and, and his men in year one. To close out this podcast, any parting shots you gentlemen would like to, to throw or, or kinder compliments you want to hand around? Yeah. Yeah. On the, uh, the message of kinder compliments, just good job, Dan Lanning, you know, 10 wins this season and he got to bring back his, his quarterback for next year. So, I mean, he's got a, he's got a bright, you know, 2023 looking forward for him. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see what happens. Cause honestly, I'm not a, I, I, I like Kenny Dillingham because he was what he did for Florida state, but I, I don't love his play calls always. Um, and so I'd be interested to see who, who they pull in and what, what their design is because Bo Nix fit Kenny Dillingham's playing call. And part of the reason why Bo Nix came to Oklahoma or Oregon was because of Kenny Dillingham. So, or oh, sorry, why he came to Oregon. And so see him leave and Bo Nix stay is kind of interesting to me to see, see what happens. Yeah. Will Stein is, yeah. is the uh, OC. He got hired on, on December 7th. Um, comes from the University of Texas at San Antonio, where he was the Red Road, Red Road, uh, the Roadrunners, sorry, co-offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. And they were good this year too, so that'll be interesting to watch. Step up in competition, but probably a quality person, a quality mind. My my only thing to say is, is Mike Norvell, Florida State, closing ridiculously in the transfer portal, sucking a little bit in their high school recruiting ranks. Let's be real, but they're like if you look at the if you look at the on three and, and, and like the two four sevens, if you look at the on three like transfer rankings, like he's picked up four out of the top ten, and with a potential of a fifth one or something like that. If you look at the two top two four sevens, it's like you've got like four out of the top fifteen. Like he's closing on particular guys that he wants for his team, um, and it's just kind of pretty impressive. Like one of the number one defensive tackles, he's looking at the number one cornerback in the cycle. He's picked up three okay or quality offensive lineman depending on who you are but if you go by 247 rankings the average of his transfers are is a low four star like you can't complain about that and he's he's knocking it out of the park which is kind of stunning to see he's done it a lot already but like how long can this last for transfer portals and for a team like you can't rely on the transfer portal at least that's what they say maybe you can yeah i'm really interested by that because a lot of people have said like look you're still like your main base is going to be built out of high school recruiting and i'm like how do we know that this has only been around for a few years like this is it's a totally different game we assume that it is best to the high school ranks but even kirby smart who's been touting all year how we didn't take any transfers has got a couple transfers in the wing coming for next season 
he, he was recognizing there are things that you need to do to continue to compete at the highest level. And they are by far, at least as we've seen, the best team in college football. So interesting to see what how that dynamic shifts and you know how much coming in second place in the high school recruiting might be a, a boon later on to your program. If you're still the coach, you can stick around there, which that's a big if. I don't so much have a parting shot as uh, just something interesting I wanted to, to talk about for a second. Dabo Swinney talking about Clemson and talking about the NIL era, name, image, and likeness, where players can profit off of uh, corporate sponsorships and, and deals. He, in a press conference, mentioned that Clemson has for a long time now been built on NIL, the name, image, and likeness of God. A very interesting statement. I It's not unusual in college football in particular to see coaches who have a very strong spiritual side and are pretty open about their usually Christianity. It's very interesting for him to say like this program is built on, you know, shaping ourselves after, after God and seeing how that will play in recruiting, how that will play in the culture of the team. For a long time, Davos kind of been talked about as this sort of dude. I, I'm kind of actually happy that he's leaning more into it um, as opposed to like trying to deny or put off any perceptions that people have gleaned from the outside. Um, but still an, uh, not a common thing that you see in a press conference or hear in a press conference. And so I just thought that was intriguing and interesting to see how that will play out in the scope of, uh, of recruiting, of bringing in transfers, of what type of players want to be there, what type of players are like, yeah, I'm actually here to play football. Very, very different. Yeah, like, is that in substitute for my other NIL deals? Because I'm not sure. <laughs> I still want the other ones yeah. too. <laughs> I want the cash and the blessings, okay? <laughs> I'll take both. Um, didn't I see something like in the past where he like baptized players on the field? Like they had a little baptism on that, that they made? Yeah, I, I don't know as much about that, but it's, again, it's not crazy unusual for uh players or assistant coaches to have you know the these men that they look up to be also kind of spiritual influences in their life i know mark rick just talked about uh how the influence of bobby bowden on him back in the day and everybody knows my love for bobby bowden how that drew him closer to god and and so like i i think it's something that's kind of been around in college football a lot a lot of these universities that are pretty good are christian universities as well clemson yeah deandre hopkins on the practice field so, so not all his players, just Hopkins. Yeah, just just the righteous ones, and you know it's worked. He's gone on to be have a great career. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with that, we'll we'll give a wrap to our podcast. This one ran a little bit shorter than normal. We'll try and be brief next week. But gosh, there's a lot of good football to be played. So hang on with us for the end of this ride. We're excited for the exciting close of bowl season and the lead up to the national championship game. Until then, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We're dropping new episodes every week. Be sure to rate us five stars on any and every service where you listen to the pod. And if you feel so inclined, let your friends know about us. As always, thanks, Mom, for giving birth to us. And to all the rest of our listeners, we'll see you next week.